Welcome back to The Emily Show. This week is a very special episode brought to you in partnership with vidIQ. I use vidIQ on my YouTube channel daily, and I'm going to share with you a little bit of the behind the scenes of how I do that. And we're going to talk about Disney responding to the Scarlett Johansson Black Widow lawsuit, Britney Spears updates, a lot has happened, and this is going to be a summary of all of it so that you are in the know before the next court date on September 29th, and a little bit about what went down with OnlyFans. I know some of you are just catching up to that story, so kind of a summary because it it went top to bottom real quick, (laughs) real quick, and we're going to break that down too. So lots to come on today's episode of The Emily Show, and I feel like I feel like we should just we should just get into it, right? I'm living. Let me know how we feel about a little behind the scenes. I would love to hear your thoughts because I don't always share that stuff and I hope that it's a lot of fun for you too because it's fun for me to put together for you. Let's go. Hey there. Welcome to the Emily show. I'm your host, Emily D Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Since we now start with a quote, the quote is one that echoes frequently in my mind that is a sentiment that's been shared with me by multiple people, which is stop wasting your time with YouTube. (laughs) I have heard that from multiple people, um, most of who are no longer within my within my circle, um, and not family and friends, like business coaches, uh, people who I went to for mentorship and guidance. And a lot of the sentiment was, you're just wasting your time with YouTube. It's not where legal belongs. What are you doing? And in September 2020, a year ago, I really leaned in to YouTube. I took this podcast into a video version, uh, changed the name a little bit, leaned into the stuff that I enjoyed the most. But my YouTube channel is over six years old and it had some lifestyle stuff, blog stuff, like vlog type content, um, tech, which is how a lot of people found me in the early days because I love talking about tech. I was on a like panel tech discussion on Wednesdays that I loved um, and still am friendly with the creators who were so welcoming to me in that space all the way back when. And I always loved the community on YouTube, though I wasn't really focused on growing my channel on YouTube. But even back then, I started with having vidIQ plugged into my channel because I didn't understand how to grow my channel and I didn't understand how to use keywords and different metrics. And I really just wanted an easier solution. This year, I am so thankful to be partnered with vidIQ, to be one of their uh, kind of featured creators over on their channel. We do a Q&A every month and it has been such a wonderful relationship. And they have a feature that I have been using that I think you might enjoy too. It's called Daily Ideas. And every day it populates a number of different ideas that they think your audience might like to see from you. So in my workflow that I'm sharing, uh, you can see it on the video version, but not as much on the 
on the audio version. If you want to see my workflow, come on over to YouTube and you can see it on the YouTubes. In my workflow, I go through looking at the daily ideas to kind of see what it's looking like my audience would like to see the types of videos my audience is going to, and really to kind of jog the ideas of what topics for me, I might not have touched back on in a while or are still driving traffic on YouTube that people are still looking for. And I go through those and collect them over about a week before I am recording the podcast because my stream content tends to be more of what is happening right this second. And a lot of that is sourced from the audience. But the podcast, The Emily Show, is really considered and researched content. So I go through the different ideas and then start looking at the topics that I really want to cover and breaking those down into notes. And as I'm breaking those down into notes, I start researching uh, the different topics, pulling any legal documents that I might need and going from there. So Daily Ideas has really been a helpful way to make sure that I am keeping my content not just aligned with what my audience wants to see, but so that I know I'm never going to run out of ideas of what to cover. And for me, since there are so many lawsuits going on in kind of the entertainment news and YouTube realm, narrowing down those ideas to really what my audience, what you guys, what the law nerds want to see and how you want to see it. So it's a great research tool. If you have a channel, if you have a friend with a channel, you can check out vidiq.com slash lawnerd and give it a try for free. It is a great tool. It is an essential plugin for me. And I use it right from my creator studio, though you can also go onto their site and access all of the features with some really nice user interface that makes it real easy to do. So if you're a creator, definitely check out vidIQ and definitely check out those daily ideas. You're never going to be wondering what should my next video be about. And today, today, that video is about Disney responding to Scarlett Johansson, Britney Spears updates, because y'all keep wanting to hear about this conservatorship and so much is happening. It's impossible to keep up with, it feels like. And then, you know, WTF went on with OnlyFans. And we'll talk about that. And if you're like, girl, I don't even know what an OnlyFans is. I got you. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll do a sanitized version. And there are playlists of all of this content over on my YouTube channel and playlists on my website with regard to the podcast. If you want to check out some of the deeper dives into these topics, but let's just all the way in, let's get all the way into it now with Disney and Black Widow. A little bit of background with this case, Scarlett Johansson through her loan out company, Periwinkle sued Disney over her contract with Marvel regarding the release of Black Widow on Disney+. Plus. I feel like that was as succinct as I can be with that. <laughs> and you're like, but Emily, if the contract was with Marvel, how is she suing Disney? Yes. And we did a whole episode talking about why this is a inducement of breach of contract case where she's arguing that Disney being the distributor made Marvel breach her contract. Disney is now saying, yes, we do have a contract. And that contract says we have to go to arbitration. So could you not sue us in court in Los Angeles when the contract has an arbitration provision saying that we have to go to New York to arbitrate the case. 
This is the first time Disney has responded in court to this lawsuit. The response was filed on August 20th, 2021. Defendants notice of motion and motion to compel arbitration and stay court proceedings. What that means is the court proceedings will stop. They will go to arbitration. Generally, what happens is once uh, arbitration reaches an agreement, then the case is dismissed back in court. So it will literally stop right there. Thank you very much. It'll stop collaborate and listen. Okay. Okay. Stop it. The stop. I can't stop it with the stop songs. <laughs> I love the stop songs. So that is what a stay is. A stay is a stop in the court proceedings to let them go to arbitration. So nothing else has to happen. No other motions need to be filed. No response needs to be made to the lawsuit because they have not answered the lawsuit yet. They said, your honor, we don't need to answer this lawsuit. What we need to do is follow the contract and go to arbitration. I'm sure what Scarlett Johansson's team will say, is, yeah, what we needed to do was follow the contract in the first place. So there's some new information in this, and we're going to go over that quickly as I summarize this response. First of all, Disney argues that the lawsuit is a futile effort to evade this unavoidable result and generate publicity through a public filing. Periwinkle excluded Marvel as a party in the lawsuit, substituting instead its parent company, Disney under contract interference theories. They're saying that the effort of Johansson to sue in court was likely to generate publicity and they were trying to end route the contract by not suing Marvel directly because they can't sue Marvel because there is an arbitration provision in the contract. They also go on to say that the Court of Appeals has said a signatory, that means somebody who signed the contract, in this case, Periwinkle, the loan out company for Scarlett Johansson, a signatory like Periwinkle to an agreement containing an arbitration clause may be compelled to arbitrate its claims against a non-signatory like Disney. Disney's not part of the contract. Marvel is. They go on to quote the appellate court as saying, when the relevant cause of action rely on and presume the existence of the contract, which is actually the case here, they are saying this is the contract we had. You ignored it. So Disney is saying, this is the contract you have. You're the one ignoring it. I know I am. <laughs> no, that's not right. I know you are, but what am I is kind of what's happening here where Disney's going, no, uh, we are a non-signatory, but we're going to enforce this contract because we're all acting like this contract exists. And in fact, a lot of the complaint does cite back to the contract. They go on to argue that Periwinkle's two causes of actions are entirely dependent on its untenable claim that Marvel breached the Periwinkle-Marvel contract by releasing Black Widow simultaneously in theaters and on premiere access on Disney+. Plus. They say the contract does not mandate theatrical distribution, let alone require any such distribution to be exclusive. They just went there. No, the whole premise of the ScarJo lawsuit is false, and we are going to tell you why we're arguing that it's false. They go on to explain that the contract provides that a theatrical distribution would be no less than 1,500 screens, and then talk about the fact that Black Widow was released on more than 30,000 screens, and that it actually beat F9 of The Fast and the Furious in its box office opening weekend. Further on in the lawsuit, they do acknowledge the same contract that Scarlett Johansson is arguing they breached. And what's very interesting is that they point out 
that they did have conversations with Scarlett Johansson about the hybrid release of the movie. They say, quote, Marvel discussed the hybrid release pattern decision with Johansson in the spring of 2021. As the parties were conferring regarding the picture's release date, Marvel has assured Johansson that she will be credited 100% of the premiere access and PEHV receipts for purpose of the box office thresholds used to calculate any additional compensation, even though Marvel has no obligation under the agreement to do so. They go on to say that in its opening weekend, the picture grossed more than $80 million in domestic box office, an opening weekend record for the pandemic, and nearly $10 million more than Universal's F9, which was released exclusively in theaters and set the record two weeks earlier. The picture also earned more than $78.8 million in international box office receipts its opening weekend for a total worldwide debut of $158.8 million. In addition, the picture grossed more than $55 million in its domestic opening weekend from Premier Access on Disney+. Plus. When the $55 million is added to the $80 million domestic box office, um, the opening for the weekend was more than $135 million. They say that's more than many of the other Marvel Cinematic Universe films, including Thor Dark World, which not my favorite Thor movie, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Look. Y'all need to be giving Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy more love. They are fucking fantastic films. I love the quirky goofiness of both the Ant-Man franchises and the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, plus the music. I love those films. But my personal opinions on Marvel movies aside, the T in this is that they told Scarlett Johansson that they would count the premier access as part of the thresholds for her bonuses. So it doesn't matter essentially that it wasn't viewed in a movie theater because she is being compensated on it, which I, you know, when we went through Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, I was like, go get it. If they wouldn't renegotiate with you, get them, fuck them, go for it. It clearly says that it needs to be released this way. But what it sounds like is that maybe it wasn't a negotiation, but Disney or Marvel said, we're going to add that to the box office so it will be as if it's a box office release. We're just accommodating the pandemic, which you can see from that perspective why Disney's initial statement might have been a little bit salty. Um, It will be interesting to see if there's a response or if this just gets sent to arbitration, which I think that it probably will. I think this will probably get sent to arbitration and the court will say, no, you're right. You're arguing that the contract exists and should be enforced. You're arguing over what the terms of the contract say. The contract has an arbitration provision. Go away, talk to an arbiter, figure it out amongst yourselves, and then dismiss this lawsuit. And with that, it's time for an update on the Britney Spears case. A lot has happened in the Britney Spears conservatorship and In the media, with regard to Britney Spears, there was an issue of her dogs uh, being taken to the vet and not brought back to her. There was an incident that was widely reported on TMZ and other kind of entertainment news gossip sites saying that she had smacked the phone out of her one of her staff members' hands 
and that she was frustrated about the dogs and that that police had showed up to the house and that it had been forwarded to the district attorney's office for potential battery prosecution, which is wild to me. So we end up with this situation where it seems like Brittany's dogs are being withheld from her, or at least that's what the reports made it sound like. And that then there was this uh, potential battery investigation with regard to the smacking of the phone out of her um, household staff members' hands. On Wednesday, September 1st, the district attorney of Ventura County, California, released a statement that they were declining charges or not charging Britney Spears. So it's a filing declination or a a no charge or statement of no charge, whatever you want to call it. The statement reads as such, uh, District Attorney Eric Nasarenko, I hope I pronounced that properly, probably didn't, announced today that Britney Spears will not be charged with any crimes related to an incident that occurred at her residence involving her housekeeper. Misdemeanor Unit Supervisor Blake Heller Uh, thoroughly reviewed the case submitted by the Ventura County Sheriff's Office and declined to file charges based upon insufficient evidence that a crime had occurred and lack of injury to the housekeeper or significant damage to the phone. On August 16th, 2021, Ventura County Sheriff's deputies responded to Spears' residence based on a call for service. That means somebody called the police for help. Spears' housekeeper later reported that she had an argument with Spears regarding the veterinary care of Spears' dog. During the argument, Spears was alleged to have slapped the phone out of the housekeeper's hand. The housekeeper indicated that the screen protector on the phone was damaged. The housekeeper had no visible injuries. And that is the end of that. There was a lot made of whether there would be battery charges and what what it can be. And yes, you can have simple battery charges when you don't touch someone when it is something in their intimate or immediate possession, like a phone being slapped out of their hand. There's a a kind of historical law school case with a plate being slapped out of somebody's hand, but the phone wasn't damaged and there were no injuries. So it probably didn't meet the district attorney's threshold for what they file and what they don't. All district attorney's offices have operations manuals and policies and procedures for charging so that at all the different offices and with all the different DAs that charge crimes that there is some consistency to make sure that there's equal protection so that filing standards are the same within the county and don't vary wildly so that one person's like, yeah, it's a battery. And another DA would like, no, it's not. Cause then, you know, it's luck of the draw. Right. And that's why there are filing standards. And this just did not meet their filing standards, which means that it is over with regard to this incident, they have declined to prosecute. The other thing that has been heating up in court and in news reporting is the continued push to yeet Dad Spears out of the conservatorship. Brittany's father is the conservator of the estate. He's in charge of all of her money. When her new lawyer, Matthew Rosengart, came onto the case on July 14th, the first thing he did was file a motion to remove or suspend James Spears, Brittany's dad. That was a very thorough motion. I thought it was very well written. It kind of backed the dad Spears and the court really into a corner saying, look, the reason he should be removed is not for anything other than what's in the best interest of Brittany. Under the probate code in the conservatorship realm, you're allowed to remove someone for the best interest of the conservative Brittany, he brought forth declarations from Jody Montgomery, the conservator of the person, temporary conservator of the person, from Lynn Spears, Brittany's mom, all of those statements supporting 
the position that it is in Britney's best interest to not have her dad in charge. And Britney said so in court, now on multiple occasions. And this has been tried before, not in this way, but her previous attorney, Sam Ingham, did try to get James Spears removed from this case. And the court chose to appoint Bessemer Trust as a co-conservator and not remove James Spears. So this is a second attempt to remove him as conservator of the person, but he is not going down without a fight. He filed a very long motion, throwing Brittany right under the bus and attacking her mother, calling out her mental health, saying that he should be uh, thanked for what he has been through and the toils that have been parenting Brittany and being the conservator of her estate. Matthew Rosengart wasn't having any of it and filed a motion late last week saying that James Spears's motion was shameful, that he is attempting to extort Brittany by saying that he will resign, but not until the time is right and not until the 12th accounting is handled. Remember, we've talked a lot about the 12th accounting. That's the one that's now asking for over a million dollars in legal fees for Dad Spears's law firm, well, one of the four, um, Holland and Knight, including the hotly contested over $500,000 in legal fees associated with, quote, media matters, including responding to the Framing Britney Spears documentary and doing other media-related things. This item has been objected to um, since the 12th accounting was populated to the court. We're now in the 13th year of the conservatorship, so they will be starting the 13th accounting, but the 12th accounting is wrapping up the end of the 12th year of the conservatorship, and before anything gets paid out on it, the court has to approve it. And there are a number of items that Sam Ingham objected to, payments to TriStar Entertainment, which is Lou Taylor's, firm before Lou left as the business manager of Britney Spears, and then these contested fees to lawyers. So Matthew Rosengart, Britney's attorney, has said, this looks like extortion. It's, I'm not going to leave unless you pay what I want. Matthew Rosengart isn't having any of it, and again, asked the court to immediately remove or suspend James Spears and allow the 12th accounting and other things to be resolved. And arguing really that those things can be resolved without James Spears serving as the conservator at the moment. He can be suspended or removed and still um, resolve that 12th accounting through his counsel. So we have not seen Dad Spears respond to this yet. I kind of hope that they don't. Uh, Matthew Rosengard is arguing that the conservatorship the estate of Brittany should not be paying for legal fees to fight herself. It's a point well taken by me. Brittany has been paying every time she's spoken up for herself in court. She pays for her attorney and she pays for her dad's fleets of lawyers. And at some point, it's just untenable that she's paying to fight with herself and she's paying those that are fighting against what she wants. I think Rosengart did a great job bringing the focus back to what's in Brittany's best interest, even saying in the motion, the point of this conservatorship that has been lost for so long is what is in the best interest of Brittany. And she told you on the 23rd of June, and she told you on the 14th of July. The other motion that was filed in court that has gained quite a lot of interest was filed by USA Today on behalf of the paper, asking the court to reinstate the remote 
Audio Access Program. The Remote Audio Access Program in LA County allowed you to go onto the court's website and sign up for access to a link to remotely listen to court proceedings audio only streamed through the website. Now, this is something I gained access to on the 23rd. I asked for court's permission. I got onto the website and then it crashed on me as the hearing started and it took me forever to get back in because there was, I think, so many people on the website to listen. USA Today argues that this access is not only a First Amendment right, but an equal protection right under the law. I have a whole video breaking down their motion. It is a great argument. I don't think it will be granted by this court. I think that it has to go to the site judge. But if it's denied, at least then it can be appealed. But it might not be the right judge because the judge in the probate court in charge of Britney's hearing does not have control of the remote audio recording program or the remote remote audio access program. The presiding judge of the LA County Superior Court is the one who made that decision. But the decision to completely suspend the program, which when it started during COVID, the program didn't say it was temporary. And in fact, the Judicial Council of California has said remote access to court helps with transparency and access to justice. It also limits the cost by allowing people to appear in court remotely through the um, LA Court Connect program and has encouraged these types of programs. And we're seeing other courts stream their proceedings on YouTube for transparency and open access to the courts. So USA Today says, look, the, this allows access and reporting on these very intriguing issues that has lots of public interest because we can have reporters anywhere remotely access the court instead of having to fly someone in, wait in line, uh, try to get a seat in the courtroom or the overflow courtroom, and then report from there. The problem is on the 23rd, and I've said this a lot, like a lot, someone or some some ones reproduced the audio from Britney's hearing, recorded the court proceedings. It was being streamed live on another site. Um, it was uploaded multiple times onto YouTube. Clips of it are in podcasts and news reportings and other things. So the court gave multiple orders to not record, not reproduce, not stream, not live tweet. And all of it was violated. So it was cited when the county shut down the program. It was cited that that had happened in that case. I'm very interested to see how the USA Today motion goes and how far USA Today puts the weight of their lawyers and their finances behind opening up the court program again. The courts are going to argue, look, you can come attend court, come in person, come in person. And I think the point's well taken that if we want uh, more transparency in our courts, allowing people to attend remotely, particularly while we are still um, under some different types of restrictions due to COVID, makes a lot of sense. So that has kind of gotten you caught up to what we are looking ahead to on September 29th, when we should be hearing what the court does on the James Spears motion. That's the motion I'm most interested in. There are other things pending, including making Jody Montgomery permanent conservator of the estate, dealing with the 12th accounting, and there are other matters pending. But the big matter is Rosengart's motion to remove James Spears. I am worried that the court is going to set it for another date and ask for arguments. I don't think they should. I think the moving papers are very clear, and I hope that the court rules on the moving papers and just finds that it is in the best interest of Britney Spears that her dad be removed, and a professional licensed fiduciary is the person in charge of her estate, 
And then they can start a forensic accounting because I'm fascinated. Um, I am fascinated by what they might turn up. We have to talk about OnlyFans. If you're not familiar with what OnlyFans is, you might not want to give it a Google, especially you don't want to search it on Twitter. Don't, don't do that. Um, OnlyFans is a Patreon-like website where fans can pay for exclusive content from their favorite creators in any genre, but it is most well-known for um, adult content. We're going to go with, we're going to go with the Vegas terms that won't get me completely yeeted off of YouTube because <laughs> it's hard to talk about adult content, but it is adult content and you can pay for different types of explicit adult content from favorite creators, everything ranging from your standard uh, porn to nudes and kind of everything in between. On August 24th, OnlyFans announced that it was going to be banning explicit content, not nude photos, but explicit content, which seems to be the bulk of the money-making on OF. What's interesting about the choice is that they didn't seem to communicate that to their creators first. They communicated it to the press. And so creators on this platform were finding out that they might not have a source of income come October first because the platform was yeeting all of their content or potentially. Um, we've seen platforms go through demonetizing large swaths of content. We've seen issues on uh, streaming sites like Twitch, where a lot of Twitch streamers had had uh, copyrighted music in the background. And at some point, Twitch decided to comply with copyright laws and DCMA takedowns and went through and removed all old content that had uh, copyrighted music in the background being used. We have seen these things happen. There was an adpocalypse after the Logan Paul Forest incident where advertisers had a crisis of confidence in YouTube and, and ad revenue shifted drastically and channels were permanently demonetized. So this is not a freak out that's unwarranted on behalf of explicit adult creators on OF because this has happened on other platforms. And if your entire income comes from one platform, if your whole content creation and your whole audience is there and that's your livelihood, where do you go? Because this is an ongoing issue with payment processing and payment processors deciding that you can't process payments at adult sites. Visa and MasterCard has kind of been at the forefront of this. This has happened on the P-Hub, P-O-R-N hub. I could probably just say it. I've already said porn. This has happened on Pornhub as well, where you, you payment processors aren't allowing you to purchase adult content. The thing is, it's not illegal. Porn's not illegal. So I... So it's a frustrating position because the payment processors are like, look, we don't know if these sites are doing enough to make sure that what is being paid for or what is being viewed is not exploitative content. It's just explicit content. And they, the credit card companies have leaned heavily into the fact that they don't want any um, child exploitative content to be up there or any non-consensual pornography or revenge porn or things like that. So it's interesting because it seems that OnlyFans could have put into place some kind of verification system. Pornhub was trying to do something similar where they're verifying content creators so that explicit content is only going up from verified creators so that there is at least some way for them to know whether the content is in fact consensual, legitimate, legal 
explicit content versus being uh, potentially exploitative and all the other things that we've mentioned. So according to the CEO of OnlyFans, who told the Financial Times that the change in policy was a, we have no choice because it's the banks. Interestingly enough, after he made the statement, we have no choice, it's the banks on the 24th, they reversed their statement on the 26th. So I just wonder if if it was a bank issue, how did they do an about face so quickly? Because on the 25th, OnlyFans put out on Twitter, which seems you know to be an official form of communication for many, quote, we have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community and have suspended the planned October 1st policy change. Um, could you have tried to get those assurances before you announced to all of your creators and the media and everybody that you were getting rid of explicit content? Was it a marketing stunt? It's interesting to me because in that Financial Times article, the CEO said, quote, we pay over 1 million creators, over 300 million every month. And making sure that these funds get to creators involves using the banking sector, he said. And then he singled out Bank of New York Mellon as having flagged and rejected every wire connection to the company, quote, making it difficult to pay our creators. He also said that the UK-based Metro Bank had closed OnlyFans corporate bank account in 2019 with short notice and highlighted how many sex workers, including OnlyFans creators, were struggling to have access to basic financial services. And this is an ongoing issue where legitimate sex workers, because you are allowed to choose to create porn if you want to, don't have access to banking services. This was happening in California with the uh, legalization of marijuana as two dispensaries couldn't access uh, FDIC-insured banks because they were worried that their money could be seized because marijuana is still federally illegal, but it's not illegal in the state. And it led to a fuck ton of problems because then people are like, oh, these dispensaries just have a lot of cash laying around, so it'd be super easy to like go rob them and stuff, which is a terrible way to operate. But this is still an ongoing issue for those that choose to work um, in sex work. And I'll tell you my own experience with this. And, and my mother who listens to the podcast is like, wait, what? What did what what did you just say? No, about banking issues. <laughs> about banking issues, mom. But if you're curious about what Emily does in her spare time, you can come join the Lawn Arts community over on Patreon. And we'll talk more about it over there. So don't you worry about it. Um, we do actually have a Law Nerds community now over on Patreon. You can go to lawnerdsunite.com and come join it. I have a exclusive podcast over there for members only. It's called I Have Thoughts. Guess what I talk about? Everything. Because I have thoughts. Either way, now, now that you're like, but Emily, what? When we moved out of California, moved to Tennessee, I started a new company for my YouTube channel um, because I had closed my consulting company and was opening new bank accounts. And in opening new bank accounts, they would not open a bank account for me because my income was coming from Google and wanted me to come into the bank and answer questions about how I earned money online and whether any of the money I was earning was coming from adult content. And the the vibe I got from the bank was that if the answer had been yes, that they would not have opened a business banking account for me. And it was very interesting because I got the letter saying, hey, 
we're going to close your account. We need you to come in because they had opened it online and then I needed to come in and verify it. And if I didn't, it was like, I had like two days to come in and like verify the account. It was so wild, but, and it was very, very stressful. Um, because there isn't a branch super, super close to me. There are more opening I've noticed, but there was not a branch super close to me. And I was like talking to um, the guy that I was sitting with about banking. And he's like, no, this has been a big issue for us. And we're having issues with payment processors, not processing charges, reversing charges. And we're having issues with fraud in the PPP loan as well. And I'm like, well, fraud in the PPP loan shouldn't have anything to do with adult content, but okay, go off. So it is an ongoing issue. And what I don't like seeing is private companies like Visa and MasterCard making these decisions that seem to be based on morality or their own morality. But it just seems like an underhanded way to try to stop content that you don't like. And once you get, you know, Visa and MasterCard refusing to process payments somewhere, what do you do next? And yes, there's an argument that there is uh, potentially a high chargeback rate or a high risk of transaction. And I wonder if the high risk of transaction is because people go to charge them back when someone else sees it on the credit card and is like, who are you, who, who are you subscribed to on OnlyFans? Hmm. But you have to have, you know, transparency in where these charges are going to. And I don't really know what the answer is. I don't like the answer being, oh, well, traditional banking just won't let you bank and will not let you process payment. That can't be the right answer. Um, but I think that the banking industry is difficult for, you know, someone new to break into, A, because of regulations, but B, there are issues with fraud and chargeback, and it takes a lot <laughs> to be able to actually work within the financial sector as a service provider. So I don't like it. I don't know what the solution is. I know that I don't like it. And we will continue to see these issues. And I don't think that explicit content is going to be the only place we're seeing these issues. Because we did see during um, the election last year, Shopify choosing to shut down sites that were selling Trump-related items and saying, we don't want this on our platform. We saw Amazon Web Services saying that they didn't want the parlor. They blocked parlor from being able to do business on Amazon Web Services. So we are seeing this kind of regulation by private companies. And yes, private companies have a right to choose who they work with and have a business reputation and can have clients say, I don't want to be on your web service if you're hosting them over there. I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know how we get back to like a live and let live instead of everything having to be battled out. But that is a conversation for an I Have Thoughts podcast <laughs> for another day. For today, I would like to just say thank you for being a Lawnard. Thank you for being here. If you would like to check out the exclusive podcast, you can absolutely do that at lawnardsunite.com. You can start that for just $3 a month and you get access to members only exclusive content. I'm glad to be a full-time creator. I'm so happy to be on YouTube. I'm so thankful to be working in partnership with vidIQ. And I'm thankful for all of you that want to hear my take on these stories that want the facts and not the fuckery. And then when we want to have some fun, we can do that too. But the facts come first. Thank you so much for being here. And may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. We did it right the first time. We're not going to talk about it. It's like Fight Club. I'm just going to say goodbye and thank you. Thank you.